Tonight's episode of Midnight Tea is brought to you in part by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. fellow goths, horror enthusiasts, and children of the sun and moon. I am your humble Los Angeles witch, Moonchild Nil, and welcome to season three of Midnight Tea. Did you miss me? You must have. I saw my inboxes, and it's good to feel loved. <laughs> but of course, how are all of you out there doing? I have had the in most insane week. Uh, between having to go to a family funeral, to my cousin Lance, who was an Air Force pilot, may he rest in peace, to within the next 24 hours going to the wedding of my close friends, who I wish all the luck in the world. They are a absolutely beautiful couple. It's been insane. And... As much as this episode wasn't going to come out for another few days, I decided to go ahead and release this episode early because a lot has happened and we got some stuff to talk about. So I'm really excited to get started into season three. And as I said, I was also working on a new way of formatting my podcast because let's be honest, I've never done a podcast before and this is very much a trial and error kind of thing. So some of the dates are going to be changed around in terms of release dates for each episode. I'm also going to be um, changing the format of how I formulate how my podcast works. And that's just to better maximize not only my sponsorships who, you know, help my podcast get broadcasted, but also make it a little more fluid, feng shuiing it, if you will. So... Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the changes that I do to the podcast. And yeah, just a lot to to be excited for. But one thing I do want to start off with talking about is I where else to start, but how are you guys doing? Because my listeners make my podcast what it is today. And I have to say, if you're out there, especially for my listeners here in the United States, I have to ask this question of how do you feel about the new mask guidelines that are coming out? Um, It just happened a few days ago where Walt Disney World announced that they are no longer going to heavily regulate the masks in wide outdoor areas, which, of course, if you're in bigger groups or around other people, mask mandates are still in effect. Or if you're in a queue for a ride or an attraction, that's still in effect. And here in the West Coast, Best Coast, in Los Angeles specifically, they are now saying that we, who, any of us who are fully vaccinated no longer have to wear our masks in either indoor or outdoor settings. How do I feel about this as someone who is fully vaccinated? I don't like it. And I know some people will 
immediately look at me and think, oh, she's a sheep, she's a this. And I'm like, you know what, call me a sheep then. Because even out of the words of Dr. Fauci, who was saying that we're just going to have to trust that anybody that's outside without a mask is COVID free or vaccinated, at least. That's asking me to put far too much faith in people who about a year ago was doing things like assaulting people by taking off their masks, ripping the mask off of others and coughing in their face. Mm, yeah, I'm not behind this. I don't, I no, no, I don't jive with that. If anything, this, this whole quarantine, this COVID lockdown outbreak, whatever you want to call it, has kind of shell-shocked a lot of us into seeing who people really are in terms of what what are you willing to do to not just protect yourself but others? And I'm sorry, America did not pass that test. We didn't earn the right to be even this level of open already. And maybe that is a little bit of the fear. And I mean, your girl has definitely been put in positions where she could be around somebody who poss- who either came into contact with someone who has COVID or has it themselves. And I've had many, very many near misses in this past year. A lot. Like, COVID has actually even been in my house. And, yeah, it does make me nervous, you know. And I did everything humanly possible between, you know, just making sure you're eating right, you're exercising, keep yourself in tip-top health, um, obviously washing your hands, social distancing, hand sanitizing, wearing your mask. I've even double masked at certain points just for the sake of protection, And yeah, now you're asking me to just feel perfectly open with other people. Like I've already started seeing some people going grocery shopping with no masks. And that's like the one place I feel like it should be used the most. So yeah, I I don't know. Maybe, like I said, this could be just the fear, but this could also be me just really wanting to be extra protective of my situation. So let me know what you guys think. Do you think that... This is a good idea that we should just learn the herd immunity and just get back into having people just openly, you know, not wear masks? Or do you think you still need time? Because me personally, I'm still going to continue wearing my mask. Of course, if I'm like, let's say if I'm out running or doing my exercise out in public and there's absolutely no one around me or someone is very far from me, sure, I'll be maskless. But in like a grocery store or in a movie theater, which we'll talk about later, would I wear a mask still? Yes, absolutely. Or, you know, of course, also two establishments are allowed to make their own um, arbitrary rules in, ter- in terms of enforcing wearing masks or not. So, yeah, like even if they say, yes, fully vaccinated people don't have to mask up anymore, that's not stopping you know, any buildings, gyms, arcades, bars, restaurants, anywhere to say, no, we still enforce the masks. So yeah, anywhere they enforce it, of course, I'm going to still wear my mask. I'm not even going to question it. But in terms of being very free about it, that's going to take time. You got to keep in mind, we've went a full year shell-shocked about this. And it's, it's going to take us some time to readjust to the before life. But let me know what you guys think and yeah, tell me whether you feel like you're done with the mask so you want to be free or if you are a little trepidatious and you want to wait a little while. There is no wrong answer. I just want to hear you guys' opinion.
And with that, let's get into this episode. All right, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for that disclaimer and that tonight's episode may contain strong language, possible spoilers for books and media and dark topics. So this is your viewer or listener discretion advised. All right, guys, let's go ahead and talk about the big topic of tonight's episode. And that is a review for Spiral from the Book of Saw. Now, as you guys heard me mention in my last episode that we will be talking about this movie, which came out on Friday the 14th, and your girl had to see it. She had to be there, and it was actually my first movie experience since the quarantine. And I, I'm, what can I say? I'm a big fan of the Saw franchise. I have all of them, including Jigsaw. And they're a fun experience in and of itself. And yes, they are an acquired taste. Like not everybody in the horror industry enjoys torture porn. And that's exactly what this is. And honestly, if any of you know me well, know my opinion of of Jigsaw and how much I'm not really a big fan of that one. Because the powers that be that were behind the, the camera were not the same crew that have worked on some of the other Saw films that we love so much. Namely, Darren Lynn Bowsman, who has worked on Saws 2, 3, and 4, who came back to work on Spiral. Now, a lot of you guys also are in the know that this movie's uh, producer and screenwriter was Chris Rock, who came out to be a closeted, or not so closeted, huge Saw fan. So him and Darren Lynn Bowsman teamed up to give a Spiral... So your girl went and saw an afternoon screening of it, and mm, how do I be nice to this movie? It wasn't exactly what I expected. Now, I'm going to say this right now, that there will be spoilers ahead. So if you absolutely want to go into this movie blind when you see it on your own, I highly recommend that you jump ship now. Because we'll be talking big spoilers, we'll be talking little spoilers, we will absolutely be discussing the ending. So if this is news you don't want to hear, this is, your, this is your absolute huge cue to leave. I'm giving you that second. I'm not playing, I'm, I'm going to spoil this movie for you. You good? Okay, so let's go ahead and talk Spiral from the Book of Saw. Now... My issue with this movie from the from the jump was I was terrified that this movie was going to suffer one big problem. And unfortunately, it does stem with Chris Rock. And the problem being is it is a fan writing a script. Therefore, it's a fan fiction. And I feel like this this implies for things like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which I I've read. I don't think it's canon. It's a fun side story, but that's about, that's all I'll ever acknowledge it as. And Spiral is kind of the same because having seen the movie and I analyzed it really hard and I wanted to do this podcast in particular very fresh to when I've seen it so that I'm giving you the most informative review I can about this movie is that it suffers from feeling like a fan fiction and it doesn't cohesively follow any of the previous movies. 
Like, it doesn't follow Saws 1 through 7. It doesn't follow Jigsaw. It's kind of its own standalone thing, which is more like a side story. And I think that's the best way you can look at it. It's not a sequel. It's not a remake. It's not a reboot. It's a side story. And I think that's where we get from the book, that subtitle from the book of Saw, because that's what it is. And it knows that's what it is. Now, the quick short version of the synopsis is Chris Rock plays a detective who is trying to uncover a new string of police murders that have been kind of hinted at at being the work of a Jigsaw disciple. Because in this universe, John Kramer, aka the Jigsaw killer, is already dead and has been for some time. It's not disclosed what setting this movie is, is in. Since the last we had was, oh, Jigsaw took place in 2016, which was umpting years, I believe it was 10 years, from the in-universe death of John Kramer. Whereas in Spiral, they don't say how long it's been. You're just left to assume. So in that respect, it's, yeah, it's kind of coming out of left field. It's like, well, this is go it, where where in this movie does... Or in this universe, does this movie take place? No one knows. It's pretty much, it's, it's either, it's from Saw 3 and up. That's pretty much all you have to go off of. So that being said, when you're solving these mysteries and stuff, I want to put this out here too. The traps are not as elaborate. Um, honestly, some of them come off as straight up ill-winnable. Like you cannot win some of these traps, especially the one that kicks the movie off. Which I get it, that's kind of been Saw's motif for a long time is the first trap is ill-winnable. Doesn't matter who you are. Because that's supposed to set the mood of this is what you're going to be looking into or this is what you're getting into. And yeah, just wasn't really wowed. It didn't feel like a real authentic trap, to be honest. Maybe it's because we're so desensitized by how far the Saw franchise has gone it doesn't feel like anything super special. And I'm sorry to say that. And I feel even harder saying about that since Darren Lynn Bowsman is someone I have worked with in the past. I love his versions, his sequels to the Saw franchise. And this is not his best. I, I hate to say it. And if you ever hear this, Darren, I'm sorry. But yeah, this one I was not in love with. And... How do I go? How do I go there? Like, how do I? Mm, it's. It's not that great, guys. I'm sorry. Like, I would give this a barely passable five out of ten. But I do rank it higher than Jigsaw in terms of. It tries something. But OK, how? OK, so the traps are not innovative. What about the acting? Well. This is a weird one because. The main star, obviously, is Chris Rock. And you can tell he want This is, like, this is a kid at Disneyland. He's stoked to be in a, in a Saw film. But why do I feel like his acting in the beginning of the movie is incredibly wooden? And for me, that's unheard of for someone who's been a stand-up comedian for over 20 years that, well, that I've known of. And I know it's longer, but off the top of my head, I'm saying 20 years. You're, you, he's not shy to the camera at all. So why all of a sudden, when, I, guess, I also get it too, he's playing a serious role. This isn't comedy by any means. Like, yeah, he cracks a joke here or there, 
but it's not a focal point of the movie. It's not, it's nothing there than for him to make a quick quip and goes about his business as he's the lead detective of a, of an, like, I guess like a, a reconnaissance uh, group at his precinct. But yeah, it doesn't, his acting just feels very off and awkward. He talks oddly slow. Like he's trying to remember his lines. And again, from watching far too many of Chris Rock's stand-up comedies, this is not how he sounds. He he sounds very stiff. Now we also have the great being graced by the great Samuel L. Jackson in the movie who plays Chris Rock's father. And I dare say it, we did not get nearly enough Samuel L. Jackson. This man is a fucking legend. And he's more like a glorified three cameos. He's not even in a scene for anything longer than maybe 10 minutes. Like he has about 10 minutes of screen time in entirety of this entire film. And yeah, just not super wowed by the lack of him. Because I mean, this man's a powerhouse. He's Nick Fury. He's Shaft. He's uh, just, I, I, I feel like his, his character was almost wasted. And trust me, we're going to get into that ending in a minute, especially for those of you who have seen it and know exactly what I'm talking about. Just wanting so, so much more. So where does that leave us overall? And why do I even get rank it that high? I'm like, because for a minute, the plot does get interesting. But here's where it also loses me as well. There's no... There's no... Uh, um, wow, his name is escaping me. There's no Billy. There is no Billy puppet. And I'm like, this is not a Saw movie without him. Instead, there's this odd pig puppet that you see very briefly. And he doesn't do anything. He doesn't talk. Even the killer, when he uses a voice modulator... It doesn't sound like creepy, cryptic, John Kramer style. It almost sounds like a woman. And I'm going to be honest, getting into this movie, I thought it possibly was a woman. But like I said, we'll get into it. But yeah, there is a very strange lack of gravitas that came with this killer. And it didn't feel like we were getting what we deserved out of a Saw film. Like this could have been any slasher movie and no one would be amiss. This is something I've said also about The Craft, where it was, it's a movie about teenage girls practicing witchcraft. You could have easily took the name out and you would miss nothing. And this is kind of where I felt Spiral went, was you could dismiss the whole, you could just take out the words Saw or Jigsaw or John Kramer, and this is any mis- like cop mystery whodunit situation. So that's where it hits the hardest. And I feel we were lacking quite a bit. Now, from here, we're going to talk about the ending. Because I'm already kind of mm, with the acting. I mean, Chris Rock does eventually get better as the movie goes on, but it's still not enough. And then we have Samuel L. Jackson, who's not in it enough. And everybody else is just all right. I mean, I mean, we've also known that Nobody's winning Oscars for anything in horror, and especially not Saw. Anything in the Saw franchise. So let's get to that ending. Since everything else has been kind of like, okay. 
the big reveal of the killer. Now, this is the biggest spoiler warning for anybody who has not seen it. Please, if you don't want to know, please go ahead and skip ahead. And we'll get back to you after the break. But the killer is Chris Rock's partner. And it's one of these ass-backwards motives where he goes, I'm killing crooked... I'm going to be a cop that's going to kill crooked cops in the name of John Kramer. What? What? This is... No. No. And his his reasoning is a little flimsy. And then he... I, you know, like, I, I, I'm still baffled by his motives. Where he said, yes, there are crooked cops. And, it, and I'm like, so a, a cop makes one bad judgment call. Or several. Or in this case, some of them, like, yes, some of them he does, ex- you know, like every fucking villain. He explains his whole, his whole motive and why he's doing this and who he's targeting and blah, blah, blah. And I'll get it that some of the cops that he did kill are justified for the, the shady things they did. But then... This is where this movie crushed me pretty hard is he kills Samuel L. Jackson. And there was no big build up or lead up to why necessarily other than a quick explanation of a police code that he violated. And it's like sometimes and again, that's I I get it. There's a saying that says like, you know, what separates a good cop from a bad cop? And it's one judgment call. And. I feel almost bad for Samuel Jackson because you see him sitting there and just explaining that we just did what we had to do. And it's like, yeah, sometimes as an officer, I understand you do have to make a judgment call. And sometimes it's not always the right. It's not always a a good one. It's not the one that everybody's going to work with. And I think this movie's trying very hard to be a commentary between the whole back the blue and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I feel like that's maybe that's why I was a little turned off by it. I'm like, it was sending the wrong message for both parties, for both Black Lives Matter and Back the Blue. And it it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. It feels it feels a little forced. So overall, would I recommend Spiral to anybody? If you're a big Saw fan and you want to complete your series, sure, go see it. More so, I would say rent it when it eventually comes to any streaming service because I felt what we got out of this was not top, not top notch by any means. The acting is okay. The, the traps are subpar and the big reveal and twist at the ending is a kind of a slap in the face. It just, it didn't feel earned and we, we got to want more out of our soft franchises. And like I said, Darren Lynn Bowsman, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry I was not a big fan of this one compared to Saw's 2, 3, and 4 where you put your heart and soul into it and they felt like a solid Saw sequel. This one was not quite there. And again, it's not that I'm blaming Chris Rock, essentially. I am saying, though, this is kind of what you get when fans want to be so heavily invested and they just totally manipulate the story to be one direction. 
But guys, that's what I have to say about Spiral from the Book of Saw. I hope that my analysis of it gave you some kind of assessment if you want to check it out. If you want to go see it in theaters, you want to just rent it when it becomes streaming. I, I personally think that this is better off just to be waited, waited on until it starts streaming or it's available anywhere or if you want to rent it. Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily worth the price of admission. But that is up to your own decision, and I'll let you guys make that call. So we'll go ahead and get on to our next topic after a quick word from our folks at Anchor. All right, guys, welcome back. Now we're going to go ahead and jump into something that I swear only millennials of my age, of around my age would understand. And if you were like me that was, a, well, born in the late 80s or early 90s, and you were a feverish fan of Nickelodeon, you probably remember a little game show called Legends of the Hidden Temple. This was essentially one of the first, if not the first, escape room challenge game show for kids. It was based on a Mayan mythos or legend of, legendary story of the Temple of Omec, which was actually a religious deity to the Mayan culture. And in this show... They would have kids in groups of two, usually up to like, I believe, six teams, six or seven teams. And they would have them do these obstacles and challenges to lead up to doing something called a temple run, which was essentially an escape room or several escape rooms. And it was it was very painfully 90s, but it was also cute because the show was also educational in teaching kids on how to problem solve and re- remember their history in order to complete the games. And if you were like me, you wished you lived in Universal or near Universal Studios in Florida to be part of the show because that's where they filmed it. Well... Now, we're looking at the possibility of us millennials who grew up watching the show as a, now as adults get to be on it. That's right. There is going to be a 21 and up version of the show Legends of the Hidden Temple. It has the same logo, the same font for the lettering, everything. Just now, I believe it's not being broadcasted through Nickelodeon. Now, I believe it is going to be broadcasted through a company known as the CW, which a lot of you guys growing up might have known that was the channel from Warner Brothers. And I believe it still is owned to some degree by them. It's just under a different name. And if you choose that you are interested in going to this, and unfortunately, this is limited to just people living in the Los Angeles area. But their intro on their website reads as follows. Once again, the gate of Olmec's temple is about to open, but this time it's for grown-ups. Duran Ophir casting is thrilled to announce that for a few select contestants, the journey begins anew. We're calling for brave seekers and fearless competitors who are at least 21 years of age to cross the moat, ascend the steps of knowledge, race through Olmec's temple, avoiding the dreaded temple guards, and put their knowledge and fortitude to the test in the adventure of a lifetime. Teams once again receive ancient artifacts and return them to their rightful heir in order to win prizes. And all in the gl- of the glory promised by Legends of the Hidden Temple. If you grew up on Legends of the Hidden Temple 
and dreamed of your own epic temple run, it's time to live that dream. Seeking teams of two who are available, who are able to be in the Los Angeles area during the month of July, who work well together and want to prove they have what it takes. Legends super fast. Legends super fans are a plus. Are you a friend ready? Are you and a friend ready to become legends? The choice is yours and yours alone. Apply now and let's rock. And as you can tell, your girl absolutely got a friend together and we signed up. And we're excited, ecstatic to see if we actually make the cut to be on this show. Now, like I said, unfortunately, this is only for people who live in the Los Angeles area and filming will start as soon as July, which is very, very soon. But if you are a 90s kid, if you loved Nickelodeon, if you loved Legends of the Hidden Temple, you're over the age of 21 and you got a buddy who's willing to do it. I absolutely recommend this for you. If you're interested in signing up to join and be part of the teams, you may sign up at legendscasting.com. That is legends with an S at the end, casting.com. Well, keeping with the vein of TV, or should I say streaming, you know we have to talk about Castlevania Season 4. Yes, boys and girls, we need to talk about the series finale of the Netflix series Castlevania, which your girl in her last episode of last season adamantly expressed trepidation about them ending the series on such a short notice and how Netflix has kind of had a reputation of killing off their shows made for them on season four. And honestly, I got to be honest, I'm afraid that they're going to do this with Stranger Things because we're waiting on their season four. But in any case, so... The trepidation with this being that when they decide that they're going to cancel a show on their last season or just cancel a show outright and they only are given X amount of months to film one more season just to wrap up their stories, it usually comes out bad. As as I previously ranted about in the series finale for The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And that was exactly the fear I had going into Castlevania season four. So how did I like it in the end? I'll be damned. I actually really liked it. This was one of the few times where a show gets abruptly canceled and they actually finish on a strong note. I'm actually thoroughly impressed with how they handled this ending. Um, I'll I'll try to keep it light but I want to also make note that there will be spoilers ahead for the entire series of course most notably the ending episodes um I think they actually tied up everything together in quite a nice little bow in terms of the character of the alchemist who wanted to jump different dimensions and try to find his long lost love I think his ending is pretty substantial the story of the I already forgot the name of of this type of character, but ones that can bring back souls to make monsters. Um, I found his character kind of boring. In a sense, I'm talking about the darker skinned. I keep wanting to say alchemist, but that's not what he is. Uh, forge master or some or of some sort. He he was just on this mission and then kind of just quit just stopped which i thought was really stupid whereas the forge master that became 
the slave to the vampire, the one of the vampires in that quartet, his story was stayed interesting. He was interesting the minute they brought him into the show. And I love how she used sex and this manipulative, I don't want to be in this coven of vampires anymore, I want a new life, to get him to succumb to her wills. Fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And the fact that this man had to cut off his own finger to break her spell, badass. Absolutely badass. And they were going to kind of, I guess, leave her to be a, a specimen because they caged her, which I thought was also very interesting. And in the end, she chose to die by sunlight and her death was beautifully poetic. She just stayed up all night with this forge master that leading up to that point, I thought they were going to try to be together because he obviously had some kind of affection for her. And in the end, she chose to end her life via sunlight with a smile on her face. Like she went very peacefully. Also handled incredibly, incredibly well. And then let's go ahead and get into the subplot with Carmela's death. Um, with her death by the Forge Master. And wow, that was a pretty epic battle. I mean, I'm going to say she went out like a bitch because she, you know, it was one of those, I'm not going to die by your hand. I'm going to go on my own terms. Fine. It's just, whoa, the battle leading up to it was crazy epic. So I love that plot line. Like, again, this went off really well. If there's, and then Alucard finally actually felt like a little bit more of a background character. Like, in terms of he went to go rescue this village and this village had nowhere else to go. So they decided to shack up in Dracula's castle. And I would have figured after what had happened to him at the end of season three, he would not want to deal with humans, period. He would have felt so betrayed by the twins who, again, lulled him in with sex to make him feel like he wasn't alone. And then they were just out to kill him for withholding knowledge or being a vampire. So he had to go regardless. And... Yeah, I'm I'm surprised at the big 180, but I don't hate it. It is giving him a chance to learn again. So I'm here for that. But then you get to the epic battle with Trevor, Sypha, and the the human personification of death. And wow, was that the battle of the century. It looked phenomenal. These animators are not getting enough credit for the hard work they did. It looked so fucking good and the battle was just beautifully handled now if there's anything out of the ending that we get that i wish they kept and didn't go further i kind of wish trevor actually died just because i feel like his arc was complete enough he made the big to do that he was that he knew it was a suicide mission to go in and face death alone and that he would die And honestly, they animated it in such a way that, yes, it looked like he really did die. He's gone. And it kind of makes Saifa's resolve at the end of all this a lot better. That she she finds out she's pregnant. And she wants to go off and she wants to find a village of other magic users such as herself to rebuild a colony. You know, make a community for her child to grow up in. Teach him, you know, her teach him or her. She doesn't say the gender of the baby their ways and Alucard extends her hand to her and says extends his hand to her and says 
stay here because we already have a home. We're already building a community. You could teach the children here along with raising your child. And even the leader of this village was also like, yeah, we could absolutely use you. You're amazingly knowledgeable. You're patient. You're kind. You would be the perfect teacher. And Saifa pretty much agrees and says, you know what? You're right. I can make a home here. And I kind of liked it if that's just where it ended. Because then now it's giving birth to the idea that there's going to be a new Belmont. He even, Alucard even names the area Belmont. And it was a beautiful idea that it just ends there. And then we get to see who becomes the next line in the Belmont family. But yes, we get a horse that brings back the body of Trevor and he's barely alive. And I don't know. That's the only nitpick I really have with that ending is we didn't need him back. I feel like it and it ended very nicely without him. But I mean, and especially since they're not, as far as we know right now, Netflix has no idea ideas or intentions to renew the series further so kill him off like I said I think his arc was pretty perfectly handled but we'll see um like I said the show was doing well and it still continued to do well in every season it released so I don't know exactly why they just decided to cut it here and lastly we can't go on with this without talking about the post credit scene with Dracula, whoa, words, Dracula and his wife, Lisa, where Dracula now has to pose as a human and him and Lisa are just free to roam the world like wild childs, like wild children. And it's, it's adorable. It's so cute. But we're also left to say, well, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? And it does sound like Lisa does want to go back and find Alucard and, I don't know, reinstate their family. But knowing Dracula and Alucard's familiar relationship, this might not be the greatest of ideas. But it is cute to see them back, and they're, well, mortal to some degree, and just trying to just live again. Like, it looks like they're on a honeymoon, and it's super cute. So, yeah, guys, that's the review I have for Castlevania Season 4, the series finale. It's absolutely great. I think they did a really good job with tying this up very well. And that's not to say that they might not continue the series. I feel like there will still get something more Castlevania in due time because the show did way too well to not continue this story. Especially like me, who was waiting for this to turn into Symphony of the Night. as Because Symphony of the Night is the best Castlevania video game ever and you can fight me on that you can fight the rest of the internet on that I'm still right and as far as I know the series doesn't follow any video game in particular it's just kind of its own story and that's fine too because they did it well enough that I can be invested in it who even me myself have not played every Castlevania game but has just played a very big chunk I dare say more than half of the games for any console that was ever created But if you were trepidatious about it, I think you're going to be pretty satisfied in what you see out of season four. I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix now. Go give it a watch. Okay, guys, let's talk goth music. And not just any goth music. Let's talk about my favorite band in the whole wide world, Him. Now, as you guys have already known, I've mentioned that Him has disbanded now for the last four years as they played their last show in... 
2017. And as you all know, your girl is absolutely devastated because this was my favorite band of all time. And though we've gotten little winks and nods here and there from Villa still doing creative projects and still making music, just not under the him moniker, we're left thinking, well, what, what's left? I mean, for diehard him fans such as myself. Well, as of two nights ago, him had released something on their Instagram story, which simply shows what looks to be a woman in an astronaut outfit running away from blinding lights in a very aliens-esque looking corridor while the only music and su- or sounds that you hear is what sounds like a band rehearsing, like guitar, bass, drums. And she's, she looks like she's adamantly trying to shut things down. And this clip itself is only about 40 seconds long. And then at the end, they light candles and there is a particular code written on the, the helmet of, the char- of this female character, which simply reads cross 023A cross. I'm not 100% sure what that means. And it's not very specific on what's going on. Then towards the end of the music video, there is a six digit code that's just randomly pops up on screen and it only lasts for a few seconds. And also, from what I've heard from fans, this is synonymous with the date Razorblade Kiss became, had, had a single released. But the code reads as follows, is 302358. And at the very end of the video, it gives you a link to a website, www.razorbladekiss.co. Now your girl having to know, needing to know everything that goes on with the band Him. And I, as I say this, I'm recording in my room with my Him comforter out, my Him pillowcases, every portrait on my wall in my bedroom, or every picture up in my wall, or posters on my wall, is all Him, including my clock. I have to know. So naturally, on every mobile device I have, my laptop, my phone, my my Kindle immediately went to razorbladekiss.co and all it says is put in your email address if you wish to be notified. I have several emails. So we went ahead, I went ahead and put them all in and it says they'll notify me when updates arise. So far, no emails. It's been about 48 hours later, there have been no new emails. So what's going on? I'm also part of several face like him Facebook groups that are also trying to decode on any of this and be like, what's going on? And everybody has their theories, but no, nothing is truly solid. The only new update since everybody creating their theories is a new um, him-related Instagram page simply called Razorblade Kiss CO. All one word, Razorblade Kiss CO. And the only thing on it is that one video clip. Even the bio underneath the name just says something cometh with this way soon and a link to the website. Right now it currently stands at just under 1,500 followers. I'm one of them and I'm freaking out because if this means him got back together, if 
this means we're possibly getting a new album, maybe some future tour dates once CDC guidelines calm down. Your girl is fucking elated. She's ecstatic. I'm trying my hardest not to scream because I anything him related, I'm 100% in. I am absolutely that idiot who is like, oh no, I'm going to wear my mask at all times. I'm not going to any concerts. I'm doing everything I can to keep myself safe. But if you tell me that my favorite band of all time is back out and making music and doing shows, your girl's gonna be there. That shit's not even a question. Because I've been, I can't say I've been a fan since the jump, but I've been a fan since I was 13. It's been nearly, not exactly, but nearly 20 years later and your girl still preaches the good word of him. So that being said, if you are also a very big fan of the Hardogram, you're a fan of Villa and the music he releases and the boys of him, go and check out RazorBladeKiss.co. Find them on their Instagram, find them on Twitter. I'm not 100% sure if they're on TikTok or Facebook, but go ahead and do your research, sign up for email notifications and check out what they're going to be doing next. And that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on the first episode of Season 3 of Midnight Tea. As always, I want to thank each and every one of my listeners because without you, I do not have a podcast. Whether you are a listener that lives in the same city as me, the same state, in the same country, or if you're halfway across the globe, your listenership is always appreciated. And as always, if you want to follow me on any of my other social media to see what I'm up to or the manic stuff that I do, you can find me on Twitter under MoonchildNil. You can also find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube under MorningStarMoonChild. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share if you enjoy the content that I do. And as always, I'm excited to bring you more content up to up to the minute as fresh as the news comes out to me and I thank you guys for giving me the time of day and listening to my podcast like I said you guys keep my podcast going and I'm going to try in the future to be more consistent about my episodes I'm now going to be releasing them every Friday night into Saturday as that seems to be more consistent of when news releases break and it, so far, it's, it's been proven through all my previous seasons that, yeah, news tends to break a little more on Fridays. So my recordings will usually go up Friday night at midnight into Saturday. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please share if you enjoy the content. And as always, spread kindness, guys. It costs nothing. Stay safe and blessed be.